Hello and welcome to the Asia Healthcare Podcast. I'm Jonathan Chan, and first off, I want to thank everyone who's checked out this podcast so far. I've had really good feedback from some of you about the show, how you enjoyed the content, and how you're able to connect with the guests and build meaningful relationships, which can only mean good things for our sector. So thanks for tuning in, and if you're getting something out of this podcast and want to support the show, please spread the word to your friends and family and colleagues. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review on Apple or Google Podcasts or wherever you're getting the show. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. It's funny because someone made the very astute observation that so far, all my guests were Caucasian. Now, obviously, this wasn't planned. I didn't set out to start a White Guys in Asia podcast. It just kind of worked out that way so far. But this is the Asia Healthcare Podcast, so naturally I will be eventually able to book some homegrown healthcare leaders and industry experts on the show. But all jokes aside, I am delighted to be joined by Abhishek Shah. He's the co-founder and CEO of Wealthy Therapeutics, a Mumbai-based digital therapeutics company focused on building patient-centric solutions for diabetes and other chronic conditions. Now I'm really new to the digital therapeutic space and what the healthcare scene is like in India. So Abhishek gave me a crash course on what the diabetes situation is like there and how a wealthy therapeutic solution can help address some of the gaps in the current patient care journey. What's really interesting during our conversation is how there are cultural and behavioral nuances in Asia we have to consider when we're talking about managing something like diabetes. Because for example, the way we eat here and why we eat here is a little different from the West. All this and more on today's episode. Hi, Abhishek. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Great to be here. Thanks so much for joining me uh, on this Monday morning to start off our week. I have a lot of questions to get to um, about uh, wealthy therapeutics, digital therapeutics, and also India healthcare. But before we get started, could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and how you started Wealthy Therapeutics? Absolutely. So it was funny, actually. I come from um, a family of uh, healthcare entrepreneurs. So mom ran her own business, dad ran his own business um, in healthcare, but on the, um, on I guess, on the consumable side, on Healthcare 1.0. And uh, was innately curious about healthcare, spent a bunch of time with them, became a venture capitalist, uh, got the opportunity to invest in incredible entrepreneurs and early stage consumer tech, enterprise tech businesses. Hmm. And honestly, that's when I realized that there's so much out there uh, beyond, I guess, traditional healthcare. And uh, uh, one thing that was uh, was extremely interesting in that was the way in which the smartphone was being used to change behavior. Um, and smartphones were used to change like financial behavior, transportation behavior, uh, shopping behavior. But honestly, at that point, uh, there wasn't much happening around sort of healthcare, healthcare, not the weight loss kind of healthcare, but actually people who have lifelong illnesses or chronic illnesses kind of healthcare. So that, that stuck in my head as I was trying to figure out what to do next. Um, I had the misfortune of having both my parents at the same time who are already hypertensive or cardiovascular patients uh, then uh, get diagnosed with type 2 uh, and prediabetes respectively. And that's when it sort of hit me that, um, you know, hold on, we have 
a, a genuine problem if uh, two of the smartest people I know and health literacy in healthcare, uh, you know, top 1% of the 1%, and yet they sort of not only uh, are, are suffering from a chronic illness, but they're moving and degrading in their health systematically, you realize that there's more to, more to outcomes than just the pill. Um, uh, what that is, you know, we were still figuring out, but there was more outcomes than just the pill. And yeah, what I also was really happy to figure out was we weren't alone or I wasn't alone in this thinking. I was really fortunate to have um, an incredible set of founding team members uh, who aligned with that thought process. And then together we just said, hey, there's something that needs to be done. There is a lot of um, action happening in the West and incredible products and solutions out there. But in Asia, when you have so many disconnected markets, so many different, uh, you know, price mechanisms, so many different sort of out-of-pocket meets state insurers, meets private insurance, meets private healthcare, public healthcare, and just all sorts of variety out there, how do you really solve for that same problem here? That's what the the genesis of the of the problem statement was. I think the solution will continue to evolve. Uh, we've been really fortunate to get to where we are already, but yeah, long story short, it's been a it's been an interesting journey. Mm, interesting. So, um, from what I'm hearing, um, obviously you have a background in entrepreneurship. Um, it was really just the the I guess the healthcare problems that surround you that really motivated you to to start this company and uh, go in this direction, right? So, um, in terms of Wealthy Therapeutics, um, you are a digital therapeutics company. Um, let's start by defining what are digital therapeutics because they're not really in the health and well-being space and they're also not considered um, medical devices themselves, right? Yeah, well, they 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 are in 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 some situations. Software is a medical device, hmm. but maybe uh, you know more simply, you have the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, which has defined the digital therapeutic environment or products and services as something specific, right? It's a software that is used to uh, you know treat, prevent, control or chronic conditions, and could be used in concert with or independent of drugs or medical devices or any other uh, care delivery system. Uh, but if, if I just look at it more broadly, uh, and I look at digital health, digital medicine, and digital therapeutics, uh, there's this entire world of digital health that's out there. Mm -hmm. And then within that, there is digital medicine, which are products and services which essentially are used to improve health outcomes. And then digital therapeutics is a further subset of that, where that product or service has the real-world data or the real-world outcomes to prove that it actually works. And in a nutshell, I'd say that's in a simplistic sense where digital therapeutics sits, that it is it could be used in concert with drugs or devices, but at the core, it is something that is used to meaningfully, clinically significantly influence somebody's health conditions to make it better and has the real-world outcomes uh, as evidence that it actually works. Mm, okay. And when Healthy Therapeutics started, you started uh, by focusing on uh, type 2 diabetes, and then you have expanded to cover other chronic conditions. Is that right? Uh, we wanted to solve for uh, 
problems that were personal to our family. Um, and that's where type 2 diabetes began. And to be honest, type 2 diabetes, uh, you know, it's such a data-driven disease to be able to really solve or a condition to solve. But it's also an engineer's dream and a designer's dream because you get to intersect best-in-class clinical science, behavioral science, actual mathematical, um, you know, code to be able to, you know, if this, then that, that sort of situation it. But most importantly, you have real-time feedback loops like checking your blood sugar, uh, which is used at home quite frequently, continuous blood sugar monitors, and um, you have this lab test called an HP1C. So it was just the perfect place to begin, um, a combination of it being personal problems and the sort of um, diagnostic solutions that were there out there to sort of see whether things are moving in the right direction. As we started that journey, as in you already know in Asia, right, we have incredible um, comorbidities that go with type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. So while type 2 diabetes is a big enough problem, even till today, more than 50% of our patients under management have one or more chronic conditions, either uh, hypertension, uh, dyslipidemia, chronic kidney disease associated alongside type 2 diabetes. And that really tested the platform because as is, you know, with everything, when you build the first product, you don't necessarily think through all the, all the comorbidities, all the complications that would come with. So while we were able to consistently show an improvement in outcomes using the tech stack that we'd already built for type 2 diabetes, honestly, we, uh, we had to sort of manually intervene through our health coaches to be able to manage comorbidities. And that led us to realize that unless we are able to solve for all these conditions as a primary condition, but really help the patient for the user or the patient themselves, which is they don't care that a physician has recommended this for their type 2 diabetes. If they have three conditions, they need all three conditions managed. Mm. So that led us to sort of augment, if you will, the entire platform, first from um, the engineering, uh, machine learning um, side of it, then from design, then from clinical, and last but not least from behavior to be to ensure rather that uh, we were able to manage the chronic conditions um, for the user and not necessarily for a primary condition itself. And as that journey sort of went forward, we started getting good at managing comorbidities and enough to the point where we could spin each one of them off as their own independent condition. So two and a half years in just type 2 diabetes, and then we incrementally started working on the nephrology side with early onset chronic kidney disease, and then um, on the cardiology side with certain chronic conditions that we're now managing, and we're trying to do even more. And we're actually even trying to get into, or not trying to, we will be getting into uh, respiratory conditions uh, early next year. Mm, Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. I probably want to ask you about just the challenges that you um, face when you try to adapt your uh, product, uh, you know, in terms of product development a little later. Um, but yeah, going back to the diabetes problem, how, why do you think diabetes is such a common condition in Asia, especially China and in India as well? There are far too many uh, to hypothesize, but uh, <laughs> if you just look at core behaviors, right, at the, uh, at the end of it, uh, we are just innately human and imperfect at that. And that's what makes life so amazing. But with that comes uh, choices. And those choices do lead to, uh, to implications. So the way in which we, you know, traditionally we consume our food, for example, it's, it's so uniquely Asian. We, we're not 
going to look at a recipe book and um and take measuring cups and say okay if the recipe book says 51 grams of this i'm going to put exactly 51 grams of this you may find that on the you know on the white caucasian side of the universe but come to asia and you you know everyone has their own approximations uh there's such a large cultural association with certain pieces of our life let's you know take exactly food as an example mm-hmm. uh whether it's a uh, rice um in in china or in south india or just high carbohydrate com- consumption diets um in india and a- in china respectively and across frankly multiple markets in asia you're finding that if the human body needs 25% of your food consumption to be carbohydrates and at least in india i can tell you that every single study shows that it it hovers between 78% and 83% carbohydrates in every meal that's a significant delta that you're making the human body go through to to process and then you know you have a lot of this that results in either the the pancreas uh, not functioning correctly insulin resistance uh you know or um, sugar staying in uh, blood sugar staying in the bloodstream uh versus being absorbed by the body or converted into fat and you know that's one element of it we as um, as Asians are just more predisposed to it Mm-hmm. but these are some of the factors that that push um in the direction of having more and more issues but after all of that after all of this data it still boils down to behavior and life choices and it mm-hmm. still boils down to how we use the raw materials that are there in our life to be able to you know to to live life to the extent we believe is correct in our, in our own culture if we are not consuming that staple carbohydrate it is considered that you're not eating well uh, not just yourself but your family will tell you that hey you're not having rice you're not having you know x y z uh, you know so we've got all these you know little little things and then you 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 add that up with the health literacy issues that really there because if, if my belief is so strong in something whether it's being influenced by uh, my upbringing or being influenced by religion then whatever little health literacy it's coming my way which honestly isn't that much is already being negated um whatever it takes a lot more health literacy to actually make a make a meaningful difference in my life and for me to resist um you know the external factors around me and to be honest the healthcare systems uh haven't yet been able to solve for this at scale in asia and i'm using asia as a broad sort of uh paint brush stroke right now mm. so you know just These are some of the things I'm sure there are a hell of a lot more uh but for me it boils down to behavior culture lifestyle and at the core we are looking for solutions that can allow us to live our life our way not necessarily have to completely change the way in which we live in order to accommodate uh something that was written in a textbook or by an association or by guidelines uh in the west and then expected to copy paste uh, here just fundamentally i believe it's a combination of that mm yeah i think that's true uh, it's probably a you know big question with a lot of uh factors that uh really contribute to diabetes um as you mentioned the way we live what we eat and you know how we exercise and i guess on a global scale you know it's it's really human to be lazy with you know our diets or not doing enough exercise <laughs> um i'm i'm certainly guilty of that as well okay could you tell us a bit about the healthcare system situation in india because i haven't had the you know pleasure of visiting india yet but in terms of 
Well, if we can, you know, focus on diabetes, how do patients find out typically that they have diabetes and then get treated? Is it, you know, through regular health checks um, or do patients start to, you know, feel unwell, they experience some symptoms and then they decide to go to the doctor? How does the process start? The reality is, I mean, just statistics-wise, more than half the population who today has diabetes in India doesn't know they have it. Mm. Uh, and and it, it gets worse uh, because you have organizations like the International Diabetes Federation, which um, release statistics every year, and they'll tell you that X percent of the Indian population is had two diabetes um, versus diagnosed, undiagnosed split. And normally that range will hover between the late sixes to early nine percentage of the entire population, which is significant to start with. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually go and see some of the screening numbers, so when adults uh, are actually screened for type 2 diabetes in major metro cities in India, the numbers are astounding. It's more like between 30 and 45% of the entire population that is, uh, that is uh, screened uh, has uh, impaired fasting glucose, which is inc incredible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, we don't really know what that number is. Um, if I had to hazard a guess, it's definitely more than what the, uh, what the published number is. And that is a, a clear testament to what we're seeing on the ground that so many people find out about their condition at a point much later than they actually get the condition because the regular screening is missing. It's asymptomatic as a disease. So you don't necessarily know. It's not like an asthma attack where uh, you get one attack or you get like, you know, breathing issues and you know that you have a problem. Um, you know, when, when your, when your blood sugar, um, flutters, it takes a while before you find out or you notice that there's something wrong in your body. Uh, so genuinely, not too many people find out the way they should, which is regular health screening, whether it's through corporate health checkups or you going to your primary physician. Um, and therefore, you have a majority of use cases which either still remain uh, undiagnosed or are diagnosed, but at a much later point uh, in the user's journey than they honestly should be. And that's the reality of the healthcare system uh, because it's so diverse. Um, it's almost very highly out of pocket, right? So statistics will tell you it's between 60 and 80% out of pocket um, expenses. And that makes it a choice for the user and that makes it a cost for the patient. And that's why these things aren't necessarily looked as a preventative versus more like, hey, I think I have a problem, let's go check out what it is versus let me go uh, to see if I have any problems at all because that's just normally what I should be doing. Okay, great. So um, so in terms of the um, treatment uh, approach in India, I'm guessing it's quite similar to the West where um, once they go see a doctor, they uh, the doctor will recommend them to try to modify their lifestyle, you know, either exercising more or eating healthier and maybe they would prescribe some medicines like metformin or have insulin injections and um, in terms of where uh, wealthy therapeutics comes in is you try to uh, intervene in in the gaps in between the patient's doctor's appointment right uh, acting as a companion to help patients continue to live life better and you know remind them to take their medicines. Um, could you maybe go in a little detail about that? Sure. 
So in in the journey of uh, somebody from being diagnosed to actually being treated for diabetes, um, it's important to maybe step back and uh, and and talk a little bit about the the healthcare sort of system. So on average, you have let's say eight thousand seven hundred sixty hours in a year, um, and on average, a patient sees the healthcare system for once, twice a year, um, not even the time between two doctor appointments um, in a, a study that was done a few years ago by the industry was more like once every 15 months. Um, and the time inside the doctor's chambers is more like five to 10 minutes, which is incredibly short. So what happens is that in that window of time, the chance of the patient getting all the advice that they need to be able to manage their condition beyond the medicine is is almost um, inadequate. And I'm talking more generalistically. You always have uh, centers and, and physicians and healthcare systems that are doing a good job, but more or less, there's not enough time. Uh, and as a result of which, while lifestyle is something that is spoken about to the patient, honestly, in that window, um, it what what ends uh, ends up going as a clear message beyond lifestyle is the medicine itself. And the user experience of medicine is honestly quite nice. You know, you just go, you pop a pill, and that's it. Versus lifestyle is it's a lot more effort, right? So what happens is, um, you know, you see early intervention through uh, metformin or early stage medication really pushing uh, the you know the the equation towards uh, managing diabetes early on higher. Um, and while every physician or every healthcare system talks about lifestyle, there is a lot more between talking and actually changing somebody's behavior. And that's a gap that we noticed. And that w- that's one of the gaps. So uh, where we come in, yes, you're right, is, is on that. But it's, it's a little bit beyond because when you go to the, the crux of the problem, you find that behavior change happens when motivation meets ability meets trigger. And if you look at leading uh, behavioral change conversations and, and leading thought leaders, they'll all talk about the same thing. But if I have poor ability and poor motivation, how is behavior change actually going to happen? Uh, and it's not just diet. It's diet, sleep, activity, um, adhering to your medications, adhering to your diagnostics, going back to your physician as a preventative and not a curative, mentally strengthening somebody to manage their condition. And that effectively means upskilling. So it's you start with improving somebody's um, health literacy and therefore capability to manage their condition. You then go into helping navigate them towards transferring that newly received health literacy into action on the ground. Um, and that's improving their ability. And then systematically, you are building their skills to manage that condition better because unless you are able to make it a part of their life, which they're living, their way, so that they're able to not just continue to be happy, not just continue to have a king-size life, but seamlessly integrate uh, these new tweaks into their life so that they can truly um, have an empowered, amazing daily patient journey they're always going to resist and they're going to come back to things which are simpler, things like, you know, popping a pill. And that's where we come in because we honestly have found that no matter all the work that is being done, everything put together, the average state of diabetes in, in Asia is abysmal. So, but diabetes is measured through something called an HbA1c as one of the metrics, which mm-hmm. is, uh, 
like a 90 day average of your sugar levels mm-hmm. where like anything out of seven is your 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 sort of out of control um india every study that's done will show you that that number on average is between 9 and 9.5 which is insane and that's basically telling you that the average state of diabetes is out of control and unless you are able to uh and the, by the way this is after we are one of the cheapest markets in the world this is after uh, medicine prices are amongst the lowest in the world healthcare consultation prices are amongst the lowest in the world after all of that we still have with access to so many medications so many diagnostics so many uh, physicians we still are at the state and that tells you something that tells you that a continual lifelong disease cannot be solved by episodic care and unless you have something that solves for the continuality of your disease gives you real time feedback and support because it's all about you at the end of the day it is not about the physician it is not about the healthcare system it is about you and you're the at the center of this equation and unless and until somebody solves for you and ensures that you are able to manage your condition and you live your life your way and you're happy with it you're never going to be able to sustainably manage your condition and we felt that that was a strong enough use case to go out and build our company mm okay yeah that sounds um you know very true because i when i was reading up on um you know wealthy therapeutics and how the app might work i was thinking of some of the challenges and problems that you may uh, encounter when it comes to you know patients you already have patients who uh might not take their medicine but also if you add uh another element to it i was wondering if the app would run into issues where you know the patient doesn't really use the app or you need to like you uh mentioned you have to kind of train them mentally develop their habit to using the app and things like that so were there any um issues when you were trying to come come up with the app and what were you anticipating some of the issues would be when when patients are trying to use it and you know adopt this kind of new companion application oh the list is endless <laughs> i could write a book uh think of this as like uh, the difference between an injectable drug and a and a, a pill right so if you just take a uh, it's a really bad example but hopefully i'll be able to prove the point insulin uh, is um is really speaking the purest way in which to sort of manage your condition right so every type 1 diabetes patient because they have no choice uh they manage their condition through insulin uh, because it is it is relaxing your pancreas ability uh, to to secrete what's needed and it's compensating for that um versus a lot of the other drugs are pushing your body to do more or absorb less mm-hmm. but the drug delivery system if you will the insulin delivery system is uh cumbersome it's a prick it's a needle therefore not every patient who is told about insulin gets on it uh at least type 2 and uh, definitely if they have uh, options which have better user experience let's call it a pill versus an insulin it's definitely a conversation that a lot of people will have with their physician and and some may opt not to in a similar way if you will um the app is not necessarily uh the equivalent of an of a, of an injection or a, or or a needle but it is something that is requires effort because the first step has to be uh the patient 
the app's job is to be able to make sure the digital therapeutics job rather is to make sure that you manage it. But if there is a there is a, a participation required from the patient to be able to see it through, and not every patient wants to participate in that way. So while a, if I had to differentiate an app from a digital therapeutic, the digital therapeutic learns what is the participation level that the patient wants to have and then accordingly titrates for that situation. It still doesn't change the fact that it's not for everybody. So like you have clinical conditions to segregate whether or not somebody should be on a certain drug or not, to be honest, there is a behavioral segmentation of some that will really not be able to unlock all the benefits because they're not ready to really make a difference. Uh, and that's the honest truth. So what you're going to find is, as is with every sort of product out there, a percentage, albeit a small percentage of the population doesn't get the benefit because they're not able to get on the gravy train of self-managing their condition. Uh, they want it managed through other means or through other crutches, which is perfectly fine because we're trying to help those that actually want to sort of, you know, do something about their health. And the way in which digital therapeutics works, at least the uh, digital therapeutics that require active participation from the member uh, or, the, or the patient, uh, it is always going to have a subset that it doesn't work for. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay, let's say I am a patient that is willing to engage with the app and is really trying to control my, um, you know, blood glucose level and my diabetes. Uh, I use the app. What can it do to help me manage my condition? Does it, you know, help me remind me to take my medication uh, at a certain time? Do I report what I ate that day and or how much I've exercised that week and it reminds me or encourages me, you know, what I need to do to stay on track? Can you take me through the user experience if I'm... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just maybe uh, setting up context, while the uh, user or the patient sees the therapy through uh, their app, there's a lot of other things that work at the background. So there are... Um, paramedical dashboards, there are coaching dashboards, there is a physician-facing dashboard and report, there are population-level analytics, there are internal therapy design systems, there's a clinical intelligence stack, there are connected devices. And all of these are basically working towards ensuring that guidelines that have already shown that behavior, lifestyle, and upskilling a patient to manage their chronic condition um, work and they have published protocols, are actually used by us, reimagined to be delivered via smartphone um, as an actual therapy, the equivalent of learning a new language, if you will, and then delivered to the patient. So there are lessons, there are quizzes, there are challenges. Uh, there is this entire journey of upskilling. There is real-time uh, logging and feedback. So whenever uh, somebody puts in a value, it could come in through a connected device. It could, could it could come in through a photo. It could come in manually. Um, there is real time feedback and support on what went right, what went wrong. How do you get better? And uh, there is continual oversight, monitoring uh, with paramedicals when necessary. And all this um, is available via a, a report 
and dashboards to be able to seen by healthcare professionals so that they get the clinical decision support necessary to be able to, uh, at the time of the next appointment, really use information they've never had to make better treatment decisions. And yes, through all of that, uh, we use all the tricks that consumer tech has taught us to use. Use, um, you know, location data with consent. Use activity, activity data through the accelerometer. Use, um, uh, notifications to be able to nudge users. Use, um, chat to be able to, you know, deliver patient-centric, uh, conversational UIs that have proven to be wildly successful in Asia. And all the other things that are coming up that consumer tech has taught us. But the core, is how do we understand who you are, understand your day, understand a day, a week in the life of, and then find a way into which to ensure that thoughtful touch points through the day, through the week, that allow for better um, change, better behavior, better adherence, better outcomes, better decisions are all sort of mapped out real-time, figured out, uh, a constantly titrated basis, new data that we get, and work towards delivering a seamless experience for you as a companion. Because at the core, this is not a military regime which you're supposed to take on because habits don't last if they're formed that way. Like a, you know, a strict generic uh, diet plan, if you will, for weight loss. How many people continue that for three, five, ten years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be able to adjust to that user's lifestyle. So yeah, broadly speaking, that's how it works. Okay, yeah. That sounds very innovative. Um, and I'm wondering uh, if you can take me back to in the beginning when you were developing this app. How long did it take to, you know, set up the app? What needed to take place beyond the actual development of the product as well? Because I assume you, um, as you were mentioning, this should be uh, evidence-based, clinically tested. So I assume you needed support from different uh, healthcare stakeholders. Um, you needed to finance the product development and also recruit uh, software developers. I just want to understand the, you know, the the beginning. How did you you really push this forward in the beginning? So uh, we started out of um, a little room in in a in a small office, uh, rent free, where we began with just the basic idea and the concept. And the team was a mix of uh, people from a clinical background, uh, from a healthcare business background, and engineering background. But as is with everything, um, you want to ensure that you test this out with the minimum investment before you sort of go all in. And at that time, where you know, these are the I guess these are the advantages of of working in um, in emerging Asia, that uh, the healthcare system is really suffering from this condition to the point where they're happy to work with any innovators that are doing a job to push the envelope forward. Mm-hmm. So for us, we had the opportunity to do a clinical pilot uh, where we didn't use any tech stack that we built. We actually used um, existing chat softwares that were already there, which sort of happened to have double-sided encryption. So we went to physicians, told them that we wanted to um, help some of their patients, and we we got the consent from the uh, from the physicians. We got the consent from the patients. We we were speaking to the associations uh, who of physicians out there who were really encouraging us to go out and do something. 
So we ended up taking all these guidelines and converting them into chat protocols and literally recruited patients through physicians um, in uh, in the city of Mumbai, which was uh, where our company's headquartered. Mm-hmm. We found a third-party uh, diagnostic provider to go out and um, verify that what we're doing works through you know A1Cs and other metrics, which were done independently and because we didn't want to just rely on things that were patient self-reported. And we delivered the entire intervention through the chat protocol. And that was amazing because it, it allowed us to go and test this out as a pilot, not in years and not with millions of dollars of capital required, but in months. And really frugal innovation was at play. And we were able to see that it worked. We were able to see that patients benefited, that uh, when we gave this data back to physicians, they benefited. We were able to meaningfully not just improve patients' um, HbA1c levels, fasting levels, blood sugar levels, weight, activity, but we were able to genuinely improve uh, the patient's quality of life and patient satisfaction, and that was humbling to see. Mm-hmm. And when we took that data and we actually started having a meaningful conversation uh, with healthcare stakeholders, we got the opportunity to then work with more, but as structured sort of studies, as structured pilots, where we started working with more clinic systems, with hospital systems, with life insurers, with health insurers, with the device and pharma companies. And through all of that, we iterated, we learned, we got better, and we improved the product you know, time and time again. And that effectively meant doing the one thing that blitz scaling in Asia frowns upon, which is spending two and a half years in R&D and clinical development and not necessarily sort of uh, going into hyper growth, if you will. So we were really fortunate to find um, uh, early backers in our vision that understood that if you're building a company focused on health outcomes, then you're going to have to invest in that R&D and that innovation and you need to do right by the patient. That means not taking uh, risk, making sure safety, efficacy is taken into consideration, doing the clinical pilots and the studies, uh, publishing that data, building therapy advocacy and really going out to make sure that this is a, a product that stands the test of time. So that was our journey. Uh, we only started commercializing, uh, I want to say this year, uh, but it's been really, really interesting. Mm, okay. And the beginning was, uh, did you mention it was about two and a half years ago? No. So the company was formed uh, in December in 2015. So uh-huh. I think we'd approach it, we'd approach four years uh, uh, next month. But the, uh, the, um, I want to say the R&D phase of it, the clinical development phase of it, that was two and a half years. Mm, okay, yeah. And since then, how many uh, hospitals or doctors or, uh, and, and patients are now you know, using the app and benefiting from it? Just wondering. So we, we don't share exact numbers, but broadly okay. speaking, we commercialized uh, this year. We have hundreds of uh, clinical systems adopting. We have early tens of thousands of patients uh, who've come on the platform since inception. But the great part is that uh, we're doing this in conjunction with healthcare stakeholders. We're, we're live with uh, life insurers. We've worked with health insurers. We are working closely with, of course, individual clinics and large hospital systems. We work as a companion to medical device companies uh, or medical devices like uh, Roche and AccuCheck. We work uh, as a companion to 
drugs. So uh, oral drugs in both in diabetes and cardiology uh, with incredible partners. Um, and, and that's sort of the way in which we're approaching this. So we're not going direct to consumer because we genuinely believe that there's a time and a place for that. But that time and the place comes after you have showcased with beyond a shadow of a doubt that it works, it's safe, it actually makes a meaningful difference at scale. And, and we were, we, therefore we do work with enterprise partners to be able to make that a reality. And that's been something that we've been really, really invested into. So we're a, we're a B2B2C company, if you will. Mm, okay. Okay. Great. So now that we're coming towards the end of, uh, 2019, uh, we have 2020 to look forward to. What can we expect from wealthy? And, um, are you, you know, still continually, uh, developing products, expanding your scope? Um, are you looking for, uh, strategic partners or funding. So uh, we're 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 entrepreneurs. We're always looking for strategic <laughs> partners and funding. Uh, but no, that that being said, jokes aside, um, uh, we're uh, like I said, we're expanding our scope into one more therapeutic area uh, in the next year. We're super excited about that. We're already live in two countries um, in in Asia now, and the goal is to be able to expand to uh, two or three more, led by our partners that are taking us there, uh, and continue to do what we think we're good at, which is um, improving patient outcomes using digital therapeutics as a combination to the current standard of care across uh, diabetes, uh, nephrology, cardiology, and soon uh, respiratory, and um, work with partners to achieve that. Mm, Okay, great. Well, before we wrap up, you know, for our listeners, how can, you know, people learn more about Wealthy Therapeutics and maybe follow you? Yeah, I'd urge uh, you guys to um, follow us on LinkedIn. It's the it's the best place to hear uh, updates from our end. Where you know, just put in our company name that's Wealthy Space Therapeutics, and you'll find us. And outside of that, you can check out uh, uh, WealthyTherapeutics.com, which is our corporate website. And would uh, love to uh, hear any questions or any comments. Uh, and you can reach out to me uh, specifically on um, Abhishek at Wealthy.care. That's A-B-H-I-S-H-E-K at the rate W-E-L-L-T-H-Y dot C-A-R-E. Okay, great. Well, thanks for your time, Abhishek. And i uh really, really thankful that you can come on the show and share your insights and uh, share about your company and your innovative um, developments. And I look forward to seeing uh, Wealthy Therapeutics grow and help more patients. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Jonathan, and pleasure being on. <laughs>